From the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead. And I'm Gwendolyn Richards. And this is your Queen City Bulletin for March 18th, 1861. Yesterday was a high day among our Hibernian population. As the festival of their patron saint, they celebrated it with the usual abundance of banners, music, and the etceteras of a happy time. The procession formed according to the published order and marched through the prescribed route, making a display alike creditable to the societies participating and the day celebrated. They attended religious services at the cathedral, where the choir of the Catholic Institute performed the music Haydn's Second Mass, accompanied by their own orchestra. In the absence of health statistics, there is no better test of the sanitary condition of the city than that afforded by the monthly reports of the Superintendent of Schools for Cincinnati. By his report last night, it appears that the average absence at all the schools is only 5 and 9 tenths percent. This is less than any previous month since the records have been kept. At this season of the year, there is usually much sickness among children. These facts argue an unusual degree of health in the city. Across the river, however, an extra meeting of the Covington Board of Health was held yesterday for the purpose of taking more active steps to prevent the spread of smallpox in the city. The disease is spreading, and particularly in the 6th Ward, which is principally inhabited by Germans, who have almost without exception failed to become vaccinated. An ordinance will be introduced to the Covington City Council, making it incumbent upon persons to have vaccination performed within 20 days and to prevent those who have had the disease coming into any place of public resort for 20 days after their recovery. The existing law demands every person knowing for the existence of the disease in any family to report the same to any of the city officers, and a heavy penalty attends any attempt to conceal such knowledge. It is to be hoped, then, that the citizens will act in conjunction with the Board of Health to prevent the spread of this most loathsome disease, which has now assumed a serious aspect here. Earlier this week, we received a dispatch from Little Rock which states that the minority of the Arkansas Convention are determined to have part of the state out of the Union without delay. The majority of the convention are for remaining in the Union, and the seceders, baffled and beaten, would tear the state in pieces. It is held by the seceders that they have a majority in western Tennessee and eastern and southern Arkansas. They propose, therefore, to organize a new state out of the fragments of Tennessee and Arkansas, drag it out of the Union, and make Memphis the capital. Thus, the right of secession runs its course. It would not only dissever the Union, but the states themselves, and bring about sectional and civil war. Secession is anarchy. The detective police of Washington, D.C., whose vigilance has not ceased since the inauguration, became aware of the presence of a skillful burglar in that city and watched his movements carefully. He stationed himself very near the White House and secreted a complete set of burglar's tools, including false keys for opening doors, and evidently contemplated some burglarious action on the executive mansion. Those detectives are certainly astute fellows. They are probably extra vigilant, expecting to attract the attention of old Abe and get an office for detecting conspiracies. Is Superintendent Kennedy, who wanted to do Mr. Lincoln's service, to be found anywhere? John M. Overman, an Indian doctor, was found in a state of stupor in an auction store on Main Street last Friday night. He was taken to the Hammond Street station house and the proper remedies administered. In his pocket was found enough opium to kill a score of men. John Sayers was found about one o'clock yesterday morning by officers Bleeks and Hadley upon the sidewalk on Front Street near Vine. He had been stabbed five times and was unable to give any account of the manner in which he received the wounds. It was reported last evening that there was a probability of his dying. In amusements, tonight is the first appearance of the world-renowned prima donna Madame Teresa Fabri, whose appearance in the Academy of Music in New York created so great a sensation. 
She will give a grand operatic concert at Smith and Nixon's Hall this evening, assisted by Signorina Anna Rossetti, Mr. Charles R. Adams, the great American tenor of Boston, and Herr Richard Mulder, composer and pianist to Her Majesty the Queen of Holland. Doors open at 7, and the concert will commence at 8 o'clock. Tickets are $1. Viva la Masque! On tomorrow evening, our German citizens will close their masquerade season with one of these vastly entertaining balls at Geyer's Assembly Rooms. Grotesque costumes, ridiculous blunders, and provoking contretemps, united with fine good humor and an earnest desire for pleasure, make these entertainments a feature in the world of amusements not to be lightly esteemed. Today's show is brought to you by Hofstetter Stomach Bitters. The general effect of this delightful tonic in all complaints incident to females has given it a widespread celebrity among the sex. Lady invalids have been doctored and drugged overmuch. They have been victimized in health and purse by a legion of nostrum mongers, but it may be said with confidence that in this remarkable invigorant they have found exactly the stimulant adapted to their delicate organization and peculiar functional disturbances. At the dawn of womanhood, in the season of maternity, in the crisis of life, and when enfeebled by age, the gentler sex may rely upon the renovating power of the excellent and palatable preparation in every exigency. As a cure for dyspepsia and all complaints of the stomach and bowels, it has taken the lead of all other alternatives and tonics. Coroner Emmert held an inquest yesterday upon the body of Henry Strohmeyer, who was run over on Sunday morning by the Little Miami Railroad train, and received injuries from which he died during the day. The deceased was a sober, industrious German, about 21 years of age, and was employed at tailoring in the 17th Ward. It was his custom to visit his parents, who resided near 12th and Lock Streets, every Sunday. In attempting to jump on the freight train while it was moving, his foot slipped and was run over. The verdict of the jury was in accordance with these facts. During this past week, 51 patients were admitted to the commercial hospital and 41 discharged. Six died, namely William Gainhausen, Mark Parker, Frederick Dyeris, Harriet Sheridan, Catherine Welsh, and an infant. There were 202 patients remaining Saturday night, 22 of whom were in the smallpox ward. And in police court, Elizabeth Boomer was committed 20 days for carrying a concealed weapon. In passing out of court, she was guilty of a flagrant impropriety, was ordered back, and sentenced to 10 days more for contempt of court. J.A. Patterson was fined $8 for entering Noble's Bakery on 4th Street, where he raised a row. A pistol was found concealed on him. Next on the docket, Mr. John Jones was called to appear. Mr. Jones, who was a fiery-faced little man with corkscrew curls, was indignant. He would have the court understand that his name was not John Jones, but James Jones. The record was made right, and the prosecuting witness took the stand. She was a Mrs. Raymond, who keeps a grocery on Dublin Street. Mrs. Raymond is en bon point, fat and forty, a woman to tame a shrew or a husband. She does not get along harmoniously with the Jones family. In fact, the other night, Mrs. Jones, who was a slender woman, contrasted with Mrs. Raymond, riz her dander and run out a very red tongue at her domineering friend. This was too much for the amiability of Mrs. Raymond. She seized the impertinent Mrs. Jones and proceeded to drub her. Mr. Jones, who was sitting at a supper table, heard the noise of the melee, and his fiery face glowed with indignation. He rushed to the rescue and was met by a rock hurled by the gentle hand of the sweet Mrs. Raymond. He picked it up and directed it at the head of that lady. It missed her, but took effect on her window, shivering the glass in a lively manner. Exeunt Mr. Jones and wife, while Mrs. Raymond, smothering her indignation, proceeded to sue out a warrant for Mr. Jones's arrest. The court, while it could not excuse Jones's conduct, considered that he had some reason for his conduct, and assessed him the mild sum of five dollars. 
A number of other interesting cases were continued, and the remainder of the session was given to the unfortunates who are vagabonds on the face of the earth. The managers of the soup rooms, Misters Greenwood, Sargent, and Dexter, returned their thanks for the donations made by many liberal citizens to the charity. They will close their operations for the season on Friday. The greatest number fed in any one day was on the 9th of March when 2,792 portions of soup and bread were distributed. The present number of applicants is over 2,000. And now, an update on a developing situation at Fort Sumter. We recently published a dispatch from the Charleston Courier office denying the truth of the report that the floating battery was a failure. Per contra, we find the following in the Charleston correspondence of the Providence Journal. The floating battery has at last proved a failure. From the weight being all on one side, it was found necessary to build a staging extending beyond the other side, on which were piled bags of sand in order to bring it to an even keel which had the effect to break it in two and thus render it useless, as it is improbable that it can be strengthened sufficiently to be of any utility hereafter. And it will remain after they have expended $20,000 upon it, a monument to Charleston ingenuity. And finally, there was a sensation on Fifth Street on Friday, occasioned by a letter addressed to a popular milliner by the Lady of the White House. It was an autograph letter in an envelope under the frank of the President of the United States ordering a bonnet. The documents were placed in the window of the fortunate shop in a frame and were sufficiently attractive to arrest the attention of a crowd. This is authentic. Fifth Street supplies the White House with bonnets. Mrs. Lincoln ordered a bonnet there last fall and was so well pleased with it that she sent her order for her spring bonnet to the shop where it was procured. That's right. Cincinnati is the hub of the universe, the Paris of the New World. Well, we're finally known for something other than pigs. Mm. Bonnets and pigs. Bonnets on pigs, maybe? No, Murray. For the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead. And I'm Gwendolyn Richards. And this has been your Queen City Bulletin. <laughs>